0: Alright, welcome back everyone to Behind a Human. I am your host, Mark Champagne, and it is my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game, personally and professionally today I am speaking with Rosie, who works at the intersection of high-powered finance, public policy, and human flourishing. love that. She speaks all around the world about a wild combination of topics, including loving your money, Burning Man culture, and how she personally quit the American caste system that keeps racism alive. I feel like this conversation can go in many different places, and I'll let you steer the ship, Rosie, but first, you welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much, Mark. It's great to be here with you.
0: Before we jump into any topics, uh, the show starts off in the same way for all guests, and it's just to, to avoid any type of job titles or specific work and really to understand who you are. And, and that is the question. You know, who are you? What defines you today? Because I know that evolves over time.
1: Mm. What defines me? It's funny. Somebody asked me this question yesterday because I was I was doing um a coaching session with somebody who's running for political office. Okay. And and we were creating for this next period for her before the primary for it to be a fun experience for her. Mm. Because running for office can be pretty devastating for most people because you're in the big arena and being attacked nonstop. So how do you become someone who can rise above that and and tap into the enjoyment of the experience that you've chosen. Yeah. And so she turned the question on me, and she asked me, "Who are you?" and I just right off the bat, I said, "I'm the possibility of playfulness and fun. My life is about human flourishing.
0: ooh, I love that. don't you love when people flip those questions onto you yes <laughs> <laughs> i've I've had that happen to me as well i mean I've asked hundreds of people that same opening question and I've had people ask that to, uh, of me when I'm on a podcast, and you would think that it should just roll off the tip of my tongue, but I always have to pause and think because I, I do find it evolves uh, uh, sure. over time or, or depending on what's going on and whatnot. But that is a beautiful, beautiful answer. It was actually one of the questions I wanted to ask you, Bo, is just, you know, what does human flourishing mean to you?
1: Mm, it is, you know, I'm, I'm writing a book on this now. And so I've been in the inquiry of that. What is human flourishing? And to me, human flourishing represents, it's created through having the opportunity to pursue a life of meaningful creativity. And it's unique to each individual, what's meaningful to them, what kind of creativity inspires them, what their passion is, what they want to pursue in their life. And the way that, civilization is organized for the most part, currently there are dif- there's difficulty for many people to be able to pursue that, to have that opportunity. So human flourishing is on many different levels. There's on the individual level, there's on the family level, community level, society, the political level, economic level. And I think that on the big scale, it's everybody having the opportunity to meet their basic needs to pursue an education of their own choosing to have access to healthcare and to be able to create a life of meaning that is unique to them
0: I love it and what just to provide some context for the listeners you know what's what's the high level version or summary of of your journey to uh, flourishing as a as a human
1: The high level. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was born in California. (laughs) So let's see my own flourishing, I would say has really only taken off in recent years. Okay. And, and more like, honestly, it's been in the last year that I have tapped into consistent flourishing Mm. and that was born out of the period of covid And last year and everybody being at home and me eating my emotions, finding solace in a pint of ice cream every single day and enjoying and loving baking bread. I was just thinking about this this morning as I was walking. I was the last year was amazing because for six months, I let myself eat whatever I wanted to eat as much as I wanted to. So every single day, literally every two days, we were baking a loaf of sourdough bread and then making insane grilled cheese sandwiches oh, stop it. <laughs> eating hardly any vegetables yeah and then following those grilled cheeses up with a pint of ben and jerry's i tried every single flavor of ben and jerry's that i've ever wanted to try but was always you know um you know putting my health first and holding back. (laughs) So I got to indulge in a way that I never have before over a sustained period of time. And what that finally did was come summertime, I felt horrible. My Mm. energy was terrible. I wanted to sleep all the time. I didn't wanna wake up. I was irritable all the time. My skin was broken out. I just felt like junk. Yeah. my partner and I decided to do the whole 30 food reset and that was okay. like in ar- around September. And so that was transformative. It delivered on yeah. the promises which is to reset your relationship with food and it's, it's very transformative. And
0: that- did you know right away that, that like, did you make the connection of your your diet and the low energy and all of that right away or was, was there... oh
1: yeah like I've, yeah. I've i've been very aware of okay. the effect of food on the body's energy and yeah. you know like if you pay attention enough you will notice that certain foods make you tired after you eat them Totally, you may notice that certain types of coffee make you tired after you drink them like there's a i was drinking some coffee a few weeks ago and it was stuff that we had that was we've had for a while. And so it's like older. And I don't think the beans were that quality Mm -hmm. and drink it and then be exhausted afterwards. And there are certain biohackers, people like Dave Asprey who says that attributes that to uh, mold issues, microtoxins in the coffee. And so I ordered some beautiful fair trade organic beans uh, what's the place called i'm happy to promote them i'm not connected to them in any way but i love their coffee it's called grounds for change okay and they're wonderful and this coffee is so delicious it tastes wonderful i don't get tired the point is is that certain foods will make you feel um will make me feel tired afterwards and so it's yeah. just p- tuning into that
0: okay so okay so then that led i'm assuming that transformation or the diet reset and whatnot started to lead to other um, events in your life or other realizations that uh, got you to this point of, of feeling like you're you're flourishing mm-hmm. truly flourishing for for i guess the first time right
1: yes so on i would say on a consistent level yeah. there have been many times where i've had periods of flourishing this is the longest sure. sustained period and So the the food came into play. I wasn't expecting to do whole 30 again. And then a friend got sick and she wanted to try it. And so I supported her and did it with her like maybe a month after I'd finished my first one. And right then simultaneously, I was invited into a 30 day challenge of the miracle morning, which Mm. is a practice of uh, there's six practices that you do in the morning. And combining that with the food, it like it like blew open the skylight and, and then, you know, so much energy was coming in. And that was all timed at the same time of me choosing to not work in finance full time anymore. I was like, am I going to go and, and, you know, go after getting another executive position in this industry? And I was like, it's really, um, you know, it's interesting, Mark. I, I made the choice. It became very clear. I've had a daily meditation practice for seven years now. And through that, it became clear, the message was you need to have full autonomy with your voice, full freedom with your voice at this time to be able to discuss what's happening in the world right now and to be able to analyze it and and translate what's going on. And if I'm working at a company and representing that company, then there's a filter that I speak through. And so I was like, it's time to be completely unfiltered and so I started, um, changing my focus and choosing once again, a path of courage. Like I, you know, was offered a full-time position earlier this year and I was like, I'm, I'm going to pass. And so wow.
0: how did that feel?
1: Liberating. And it really takes, I have a high appetite for risk and for uncertainty. Yeah. That's I very think nice. that most entrepreneurs do and it is um, i'm now accustomed to the the experience of the fear of making that first step and then also accustomed to the the reward that it brings it's very rewarding but it's it's definitely living on the frontier living on the edge and that can be very scary it's not for the it's not for the faint at heart
0: yeah yeah do you is there an element of of just of trusting the path of the journey, because I, I feel like, given your meditation practice, and then be, we, and we can talk about these later as well. But just the the various journaling and prompts and reflection through Miracle Morning and whatnot, I imagine that you know you've spent a lot of time reflecting and and building up that self awareness and kind of knowing when to trust that oh, that's the sign, right? Like that's it's coming up cons- consistently over time, type thing. So, I'm, I'm, excuse me. I'm assuming that when you're you're going down, or when they're offering you a job and whatnot, and you're in that uncertain mode, that there's got to be an element of just trusting where you're at and that you're on the right path.
1: Yes, there's definitely that, and then there's also the being deliberate about how I'm choosing to live my life. So when I looked, when I looked, when I looked down the road, okay, if I went this okay. went one path and continued with the company. It was going to be, it would be lucrative eventually. And I would be a partner in the firm within a couple of years and that would pay off really nicely. And what would I be doing every day? I'd be doing a ton of (laughs) spreadsheet work. I I would be living in Excel and and living in documents. Not that I'm not now, but I was like, I I don't want to do that. If it's going to take me years to become an owner of the company. I would rather start my own business and have my own head in my own spreadsheets and like be an equity owner immediately. Um, So, so that was part of it. And I was also, you know, like, I just don't see that being fulfilling for me and I'd much rather live in a fulfilled way right now. Yeah. And forever moving forward.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Good, good side note on that (laughs) one. And how, how did Burning Man and just the, passion around like the revolution of consciousness and just i've I've seen you speak on these topics like i feel like those things are so disconnected from the outside world from like your from your finance career to some of the other topics you're speaking about um they're not i know that but i mean from the outside in looking really quickly you'd be like that those seem like two different lives yeah. her lives, right? <laughs> so how so, did all that come up? So
1: this ties perfectly into your last question about, you know, following the signs of going on your journey. So I, my background, I started going to Burning Man in my late teens and okay. I fell in love with it instantly. It's a very magical place. And the experience is not just the place it's the experience and who you get to be there mm. and who you get to be is anybody that you want to be there yeah. are no instructions and there's no context for indicating how you should behave which is distinct from the rest of the world yeah the everywhere that we go outside of a burning man quote-unquote space a burning man space there are Indicators of how you are to behave, and so who mm-hmm. do you get to be? Who do you choose to be when all of that is removed, and you are fully responsible for the the the, the burden of your freedom? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So so in that, I so I I started a festival some years after I started going to Burning Man. It was inspired by Burning Man. I coined the term micro festival. This was circa 2007. Okay. And it was a four day event with a few hundred people, all focused on play and movement and workshops and performance. And it was a really, really good time. And from that, I started a corporate events production company. And um, that eventually led me in 2012. Somebody suggested that I should work for Burning Man, which was just starting a nonprofit. And I, I'd been going for 12 years. I was like, how, how did I never think to work for the organization that produces this event? Like, I've never actually thought about the organization behind (laughs) the event, even though this thing has been such a huge part of my life. And, and so then I was at a party and I met the CEO, Marion Goodell, and I just told her straight up, I said, I want to work with you. And then I built a relationship with her. And within, I think about eight months, I had a role with the organization. I, I was hired directly by her and worked directly with her. And that opened up an extraordinary extraordinary world. Okay. And I, I got to work with her and Larry Harvey and the other founders. And I traveled around the world and represented the organization. And I got to speak in like really far off places like Bhutan. And it was really um, a magical time in my life. And then in 2015 i moved to new york and i took a pause on on working full time with the burning man organization and i thought i would just come out here for a few months and now it's been six years six months turned to six years and i i took a temporary contract out here that i then ended up staying and while i was here pursuing my own conversations of interest one thing led to another. And and then I found myself in an opportunity to start building an investment company. And the the person who I was partnering with really encouraged me. He said, your skill set is perfectly suited for marketing in this business, even though I didn't have any background in it. I I had a transferable skill set. And so that gave me the courage to say, okay, I'll try this. Now I was, I I was naive enough to not know any better. And it's, it's that cliche that had you known, had I known better, I probably wouldn't have done it.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah, I relate to that.
1: Right? And and so, but I sure am glad I did it. And I sure am glad that I still have that spirit of uh, willingness to take risks. And I credit that entirely to being so steeped in Burning Man culture for so long and okay. always being able to recreate myself for fun and the enjoyment of it. And so now all these years later, you know, I I joined the board of two very prestigious organizations. One is a National Finance Association that I'm still on the board of. I was I served as the interim CEO for that organization. Our work helps literally move billions of dollars of public pension like through our advocacy public pensions have created programs where they invest with diverse investment managers which is something that previously wasn't happening and if you care about shifting culture money capital it's a really important realm to do that so anyway you asked me about um i forgot what you asked me Yeah, no,
0: so do I, frankly, and it's been a good, uh, dialogue. I mean, I think it was something to to the effect of how you got involved with Burning Man and, or how, how do those two worlds fit? But what I'm hearing though, I feel like it's, I went into this thinking that finance was, was really the, like the, the big the big part of your life and that you're kind of shifting that to another place and tapping into again, like the consciousness and, Health and, and all of this, but I feel like it's the opposite. That like finance came in at a certain point in your life. You you took that opportunity. You explored. You uh, like you said. You know had the courage to try something new, and then realized that yeah, there's there's things that are good. There are things that are bad, and and we almost went back to uh, that other world. Because I feel like the baseline of of your experiences is grounded in. Well, consciousness and Burning Man and like things like that.
1: Yeah, it very much, and and that is accurate. You know, it's so interesting, Mark. So last year, I recognized. Now, I I over the last six years, while I've been working in finance, I've been discreet about my background with Burning Man, not hiding okay. it, but not out there with a yeah. trumpet. I remember the first time at one of the meetings that we were hosting with a bunch of public pensions. And I mentioned I used to work for Burning Man. Like I said it to the whole room. Like I was on the mic. And one of the asset managers there goes, oh, oh, you work for Burning Man? And he got so excited to talk (laughs) about it afterwards. But most people out here in New York, in that industry, they don't know what it is. Or they've read about it in the Wall Street Journal. And so I I would jokingly all the time say, because I wear, you know, beautiful suits. And I would say, this is my business costume. I love that. Which is very authentic for me because I love wearing costumes. I love dressing up. I love playing all different aspects of myself and not being one dimensional and consistent all the time. Like for me, what brings me joy is variety in my life. And so my my suits though they're not something that i went and bought off the rack like they are a piece of artwork that i personally designed that i chose went and physically chose the fabrics bought the buttons in different travels and i have a wonderful dressmaker and so like it is it truly is a part of my expression and so now how does finance and burning man overlap well i spent the last 6 years keeping those parts of myself very separate and last year when i said full freedom with my voice, was when I made the conscientious choice to start, I call it, it's my coming out. I'm coming yeah. out as I'm an artist and I also you know work in finance and have had a lot of really amazing, powerful, high-powered experience and access to power brokers and people who really shift policy and move huge pools of capital.
0: I love it. Yeah. So how... You know, in terms of where you are at right now, I mean, I am just curious. That, that that's a lot. I mean, there is a lot of decisions there. I am sure a lot of different emotions to process and whatnot. Like, what, how has mental fitness or your practices, how have they helped make this journey um, what it is? I guess
1: it's everything. It's everything. Okay. Yeah, that's that is where it starts. And you know, it's interesting. I so. I didn't, I didn't just do the whole 30 twice. I've now done it a bunch of times and I lead people through it now. And I have a, a program that combines the whole 30 protocol with the Miracle Morning practices for 30 days. And yeah. uh, in January, I had this wonderful discovery because one of the practices with the Miracle Morning is creating affirmations. Mm-hmm. And I was never really into affirmations. I dabbled here and there years ago, but I didn't really get it. The power of it until January. And um, I started saying to myself, everything is working out. Everything is working out.
0: Mm, I and, like that.
1: Right. And that had me realize that I had previously had a lot of anxiety about things, but I never, yeah. I was com- oblivious to it. I was oblivious to how internally in my mind, how wound up I was. Yeah and when i started saying everything is working out my body would physically relax like somebody's late for a meeting the project doesn't get on, done on time the check doesn't come on time the, the thing arrives broken there's an issue in the relationship like whatever it is that's coming up i could I, I would feel myself tighten and then i would say that affirmation and then i would relax and in the in the beginning i was saying it no exaggeration about 40 times a day yeah that was when i realized oh this is anxiety yeah and and then as i continued to say it over a few months it evolved so now the affirmation and i don't say it that often anymore because it's i'm embodying it now but the yeah, affirmation your mind. yes so the affirmation is i'm aware that everything is working out now and always
0: Oh, I like the ev- evolution of that. That's really nice. It, um, I resonate. I, I, I use affirmations as well. And recently, um, have been adopting some language I feel that you would enjoy as well. And it's just using two words in front of a sentence. Usually, well, during, during times, like what you're mentioning, when things feel a bit stressful or there's anxiety popping up and it's just imagine if,
1: mm-hmm. and,
0: um, you know, I'll give credit where, where credit is due, and Naveen Jain um, has been on this show and, and he provided that language and I've written a little bit more about it in my book. And it's just been it's been transformational. And it's been transformational, not just from a personal standpoint, but even the work, I'm doing some work with um, a company out your way in New York, Baron Fig, head up their partnerships over there. And we've been using that with the team. Imagine if you know we can inspire the next generation of thinkers. You know that's that's the, that's the context but what it what it does and what I re- resonate with what you said it just it puts your body in a completely different feeling or state of mind because imagine if removes the limitation and rules like just saying those words you're not it, it, you're not concerned about the how of things it's just yeah imagine if i could go and do this and 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 then it you know for me i find it, it leads to closing off the the journaling exercise with uh, the line I keep using is, really anything is possible.
1: Yes, that's it. It right? puts you into the space of imagination and possibility.
0: Yeah. And just, I, I'd love to ask you, cause I mean, you, you brought it up already, but just the, the importance of play in your life. I feel like as adults, obviously, as we continue to go through the rat race, essentially, it's like we lose more and more of that sense of play. And there's so much value in injecting that playfulness and that imagination and just letting, you know, really unlocking your, your potential in that, in that sense, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's self-generated is the most important thing. Play is self-generated and it comes from a conscientious choice. And that question that you and I were speaking about earlier of what do I want in my life, if you identify that you want more fun in your life, more playfulness, more joy, then it's it's it starts with a conscientious choice to start creating that, and yeah. being on a path of making the courageous first step, and mm-hmm. only the individual person can discover what that is for themselves. Yeah. They they can be shown tools, and they can be brought to the to the to their edge. But then it's up to them to take that step across the line. I, yeah. I like to, I like to think about. There's a scene in one of the Indiana Jones movies where he's going to get the um, the the chalice. Okay. Do you remember? Do you, and no. Okay, so he has to go through these challenges in pursuit to go and get the Holy Grail. Yeah. Okay. And one of the final challenges before he gets to the actual room where it is. There's a, he, he's in like um, underground and there's this chasm, a huge chasm. And he's like, how am I supposed to get across? And, and so he's, he, he works out the puzzle in his mind and then he realizes that it's a matter of having faith. And so he takes the first step to step off of the ravine, like off of the ravine. And as soon as his foot lands where there should be ground, but it just looks like air, a bridge reveals itself. Mm. And and the music's very cinematic, and it's this wonderful moment in the movie, and you're so excited because you made it to the next across the next challenge. And so, I think about that that the bridge is invisible, and when you courageously make the next step, you might fall. However, the bridge may reveal itself, and either way, you're going to learn something juicy.
0: Oh yeah, what a beautiful example. So how do you? How do you foster your courage?
1: In Through action.
0: Good answer, yeah.
1: It, um, I look at what I'm scared to do. I, I ask questions in my meditation practice. I journal, I write about it. Like all of these practices are part of the miracle morning. And, yeah. and so I'm doing them on a daily basis. And what does
0: it look like? Why don't we, so we've talked about it a few a few times. What what does your, your morning look like, sure. tactically speaking?
1: So it, this is interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you how it was up until 10 days ago. And then I'll tell you what shifted. So, um, but I'm heading back to how it was 10 days okay. ago. Uh, it, it's about two weeks now, actually. So I normally wake up at 5 a.m., usually before my alarm clock. The night yeah. before, I set myself up for uh, being able to get up that early, which means I start unwinding, usually around 8 o'clock. I stop working. And then I like to have lights out at 10 p.m. Doesn't okay. always work that way, but that's yeah. my, that's what I aim for. Wake up at the 5 The Evening is so room.
0: important, though, right? It's, for, it's
1: critical. Yeah, yeah. It's critical. I also, because I get up so early, I stop eating really early. Like, I have my... I'm, yeah. I'm hungry around 4 or 5 p.m. And then I might have a little something around 7, but I don't typically eat a big meal after 5, which makes me like part of the elderly club sitting at the first seating at the restaurants. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm <laughs> there with you.
1: Yeah, makes it easy to get a reservation. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so then I wake up at 5. Uh, I do... I do a really simple stretching sequence, and okay. that takes me probably six minutes. I get some warm water um, with some salt in it. And before, two weeks ago, I was putting lemon in it. I'll tell you why in a minute that I'm not anymore. And then I you know, brush my teeth and stuff, and I sit and meditate. Because I'm writing a book right now, my meditation practice is slightly different. I okay. have I, I created a ceremony for myself that I do now every morning, and it's amazing for setting me up for writing. Yeah. So I have a little spot where I sit with a little table, and on the table is a little piece of incense and a little pack of matches with a unicorn on it that says "You are magic." And All then right. I have um, a really nice smelling oil that my girlfriend made a friend made for me, and and then I have a uh, like a uh, cup with colored markers in it, which represents creativity. And so I'll sit down and I put on the smelly oil, which has a very specific scent. This is the only time I use it. I smell it. I light the incense. And then I put on my headphones and I put on binaural beats. I'll put on a song for focus. It's usually like three minutes long. So I'll put it on a repeat, listen to it a few times. And then I sit there and clear my mind. Then once I'm done with that, I come over to my computer and I have opened up a, a Word document the night before. Hmm. And in the Word document, normally when I'm not writing a book, it's merely it has the new date at the top. So it would say this morning, 519, 21. And and then it has um, it's set up for me to to write. Right now, the document opens to my writing practice for the book. And so every night at the top of the page, I write human flourishing, what is it that you want to say?
0: Oh, I love that.
1: So I'm asking the book, what does it yeah. want to say? And so after I've done this whole meditation ritual in the morning, I sit down and then I write. And and that's that's my morning practice right now.
0: So powerful. It's it's only the second time this has come up on on the show, the idea of asking essentially asking the question or doing the setup in the evening and then coming to document, the book, the journal, whatever it is, and then answering that question. And it was, uh, Cal Flessman was on the show, and he's he's a well-known, he used to be uh, one of the main uh, writers and ed- editors over at Esquire. And he's interviewed like Muhammad Ali, the, most of the presidents, a ton of, of exceptional humans. And I remember him saying, he never would go to the page with a blank mind. And if if he had nothing to say, he would ask, He'd ask the question and then he would go to sleep and it's essentially exactly what you're saying, wake up and then answer that question. Mm-hmm. And it's um, at the same react, when you just share that, at the same reaction when, when, when he shared it with me, and I like, that is just, there's something so pure about that, right? It's just, it's not forced. Mm-hmm. It's you're allowing space and time over the evening and you're just allowing something pure to come out. Beautiful.
1: Exactly. Beautiful. It makes it no pressure too like yeah granted I just started this process so but I don't expect that I'm going to get to the place of being a a miserable writer like experiencing it is so hard yeah that is not how I experience my life there are times when things don't go the way I want them to and then I resist them and that's hard like my own resisting my contribution to that but this 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 project this writing is going to be born in its own time and my job is like elizabeth gilbert says to show up every day like a mule and do the labor Mm -hmm. so
0: it's um i mean having just finished this myself or submitting the my manuscript it's about a year of writing and ended out uh ended up reaching about i think the book's about sixty five thousand words or 240 pages or something like that and I really believe in what you're saying. I think, it's, I think it's the mindset you go into the project with because there's no doubt it's, it's challenging to write. Um, but if, if, you're, if you're meeting the resistance kind of full on and just pushing, pushing against that, I mean, you're, just, you're, you're met with the equal resistance back, right? So I remember on my side, if, if for whatever reason I wasn't feeling it for just writing a new profile, like, you know what, I'll outline the next one or I'll do the research on Picasso or something, just knowing that I'm gonna write something down the road and just like try to shift. It's almost like mental gymnastics and just bring in another activity so that the process doesn't become this uh, painful thing. Because I mean, people say it all the time, but it's like it, the, the reward is the journey. I mean, the book's gonna come out and, and I'm sure, and I'm, I'm happy to help support that one as well. I mean. Um, we do everything possible to get it out and, and hopefully it resonates with with other people but it's really this process of of you setting up your routine and you releasing those thoughts and and creating something from that it's so beautiful
1: yeah i agree and you yeah. know to so that question of like how do you create more playfulness in your life it's by doing what you just shared you would do if if you if it wasn't happening on that particular task creativity is such that sometimes the best thing that you can do is go do something else and you, yeah. you kept it focused on the work. Okay. Well, if it's not happening with this task right now and I'm like efforting really hard to try to make it happen, it just isn't going and directing your focus to something else so that you're, yeah. um, you know, your subconscious mind can keep working on that other task. Um, yeah. I, I think that that's a brilliant way to do it. It's all about enjoying it, enjoying the process. Yeah. Even if that day, no good work comes of it like that's part of the process
0: yeah totally well and i think i think what happens too is just general society is is set up in such a productivity mindset that like i remember at one point i think the the, the last three months i had specific writing days out like uh, thursday was was an all-day kind of writing and outlining day um, at the end. And I remember trying to break those days up. I'd, you know, get in a mountain biking ride, like maybe, not, nothing crazy, maybe 20 minutes or, or something like that. Or um, actually before I even started working with Baron Fig, the, we have these cool little notebooks that collaborated with an artist that uh, traces out an illustration. And then you can go, so it's really faint in the book and the, the, the notebook's called Trace and then you can trace it out and color it. And I remember I would I would take that on those tougher mornings and just take the the one minute to to do that, to fire up the creativity side of, uh, of my mind. But anyway, it's just, that could feel not productive, you know, in the regular world. You're wasting time doing those things. But I feel like the finally, you know, people are talking about this more and more, and the science is obviously there as well for flow states and stuff, that it, it's actually the opposite. I mean, you're doing way, way more... Um, way more work and quality work when you, when you interject these types of elements of play. Right.
1: Mm -hmm. So I have, um, I have them right here, a little cup of markers and a friend gave me these a few months ago. And at my workstation, I have a big stack of, of printer paper, just white paper. And I have discovered that I love, I, I work on so many different projects that having a notebook for either all of them or a notebook for one each one of them, it's either too many notebooks or things get too orga- disorganized. So now I have a yeah. filing system and I just use single sheets of white paper. And I use these markers all the time. They're like fine tip colored marker pens. And if I am distracted by a bunch of things that are incomplete, like if I'm trying to write and well, it, it now that I have this morning ritual, like this doesn't happen, but if I'm trying to work on something and there's things gnawing in the back of my mind about like, oh, I got to remember to call my accountant. I got to remember yeah. to pay that bill. Like all of those life, life administrative <laughs> things. Yes. <laughs> I will take a piece of paper and I'll write down in the middle. I keep I, I'm looking over here because I have one. In the middle of it, I write down the words, um, things that I get to put my attention and energy on. And then I draw a little cloud around it rather than saying things I have to do to do list action items, which are what I used to say. I now frame it as these are things that I get to do that are supporting this amazing life that I get to live. And then I will mind map. Okay. What is there got to do? And I, and then I do them all in different colors and then I will circle in red, whichever ones are next to do. And that's a way of interjecting creativity into the administrative adulting things that I have to do, but really framing it as this is supporting the life that I love. Yeah.
0: Where, I mean, I feel like this has come up a few times in this conversation of you priming your mind and reframing language and in a situation, like where, where did you learn about that or or where did it come up or how do you continue to learn about these things?
1: Mm. I have been practicing that since my mid twenties, so okay. it's been a while now, yeah. and uh, I've I've done a, a ton of personal development work, and okay. all of that is sourced in the stories that we tell ourselves and the language that we use with ourselves and how we think about the past and you know the human memory is quite faulty, we make things up all the time about the past. And, you know, two people will experience the same thing at the same time, but remember it differently. And so our imagination goes to work there and we can, we can reframe our past. There's a, that wonderful Orwell quote, which is he who controls the past controls the future. He who controls the present controls the past. Mm, And that's written about big brother which is you know, a, a nefarious thing that we do not want. But I think about that in terms of myself. She who controls the past controls her future. She who controls the present controls her past. And so I look back and I think about um, stories that I've changed from my past. So w- one amazing tool is neuro-linguistic programming, NLP. I, yeah. at one point, realized I had some stuff to deal with. And so I went and I saw a practitioner and it's amazing how quickly you can handle stuff through NLP with a good practitioner. And so that person asked me in the session, um, in the specific context of what we were working on, he said, if, if do you think that if your parents could have done any better in that particular moment that they would have? And the question was so obviously yes. And it resolved so much like anger upset victimhood all the blaming like all the stuff where i was just leaking my power it put yeah. me in charge of oh yeah they did they made the choices that they made based on what they were capable of in that moment
0: power of the question
1: Hmm. so so yeah nlp there's tons of programs out there lots of different okay. personal development ones yeah
0: well that was going to be one of my last questions was just to get some of your reflective questions because as you know and most of the listeners of this show know I'm I'm quite obsessed and uh with collecting and curating reflective questions um because I I really feel like a well-timed question in someone's life and and they will be different depending on where you're at on your journey but they those questions one question can literally save a life. I've seen that happen and and also completely alter a path or, or your life. So I'd love to know some of the questions that, uh, circulate in your, in your world.
1: Sure. So let's see. One of the ones is doing an accounting, a personal accounting. Mm. And this is a very simple exercise. And I like the question, what, what's so right now, what's so And that question comes from the phrase, oh, is that so? Okay. Okay. Or that the declaration, it ain't necessarily so. The way that you think things are, it's not necessarily like that. And so asking the question, what's so right now? And getting real about in the language of accounting. In the language of accounting is numbers and facts. Mm -hmm. So I can, you know, Uh, being a person being racked with anxiety can look and say, okay, is is this actually grounded in reality? Or is this a story that I'm telling myself? Like what's so? Well, what's so right now is that I have a great place to live. I have the food that I need. The resources are on their way. I have loving support or what's so is that right now there's, there's something missing in my life for self-care or what's so is that I want to get, a therapist or whatever it is that they're looking for to create. Um, some other questions are the one that I mentioned, what are the things that I get to put my energy and attention on?
0: Yeah. I like and that.
1: That's a, that's the question that I use to do my accounting. So like, okay, this needs to get handled this, 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 this. And then I'm, I'm huge on self-care. So the question of what is needed for my self-care right now.
0: That's always a good one. I mean, it, it, I like that one as well, because I feel, especially people that, and I include myself in this, that are pretty passionate about self-care or that prioritize self-care. I feel like we forget to ask that question and it's easy to get down, you know, to just start following into almost like an autopilot in the practices and things like that. So that's a really great question to just pause and okay, kind of take inventory of what's going on. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really good.
1: I when I mentioned that my waking up practice had changed recently, so I've been eating super cleanly for the last seven months, like Whole Thirty lifestyle ish, okay. and um, that's like Paleo, but a little a little further than that. And I thought I've had seasonal allergies for the last four years, like really bad in the spring, and I thought for sure this spring would be different. It's like, I've been like so good to my body, so healthy. It were worse than ever. Two oh, weeks no. ago, three weeks ago, it's devastation. And I yeah. was like, what is going on here? And one morning I woke up after a week of being utterly miserable and antihistamines were not working, which was new. I remembered two years ago about reading about high histamine foods, but I mm. forgot everything that I learned. And so that morning I, looked up the list of high histamine foods. It turns out that 90% of what I've been eating has been high histamine. And I then realized this explains why consistently 25 minutes after I would eat, I would have an allergy attack. Mm. And so that was Monday morning that I woke up and realized this. I was so bummed about this because I was like, I just don't want to think about food anymore. I don't want to think about supplements anymore. I went back to sleep. Restart the day. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And also like when I was sleeping, my allergies wouldn't bother me. And so that was a, a turning point. I also realized that getting up at five in the morning, it just wasn't happening. My body wanted to sleep more. So I was like, yeah. okay, for however many weeks I need to do this, I'm going to. So I've been letting myself sleep and just wake up when I wake up, which has been seven this morning. However, I, and I turned the corner in the last few days, like I got a handle on the food and have learned some stuff about eating low histamine and you know just nuances to all of that. And today I woke up at 4:45. So wow. life is like shifting back there naturally and what it took was me being graceful with myself and not yeah. being hard and recognizing that my body needed time to heal. And so it's it's taking care of itself.
0: It's beautiful. I mean this, this I, mean, I could talk to you for hours. This this conversation to me at least is just it's it's felt refreshing in many ways. And, you know, I want to thank you obviously for your time and for coming on the show, but also thank you on a higher level for just, you know, dedicating All of that time to your own reflection and you and what you need to flourish because there's so many people around the world that has been touched from your journey and i imagine many different ways and myself included now through this conversation and everyone listening so Mm -hmm. thank you so much for that and where where could people follow along or learn more about your work
1: Thank you for having me, Mark. And they can find out about my work at com. That's V is in victory, O-N-L-I-L-A.com. Or I'm on Twitter at Rosie Von Lila.